This is the Holding Out to Learning LLC production. Hit it! The ideas expressed on this show are not the views of their employer. Besides, if you really want to take advice from this guy, well, you should probably do it at your own risk. You better turn right back around because here comes the short bob from the Parents Recharge Show. What is going on, education heroes and fellow parents? That's right. One more time, we are going to roll out a dual cast. And if you're new to the show, a dual cast means we push this podcast episode out onto both of our podcasts in the network, the Exhausted Educators Recharge Show and the Parents Recharge Show. And the reason we do that is this particular topic will resonate with both audiences for sure. We are bringing on someone who my wife and I learned about back when she was campaigning for a school board election. What we realized then, there's not a lot of information out there on how to get elected to the school board and what the role of a school board member is. And one of the things her and I both found out, kind of the hard way, as we went through and called people and showed up at people's doorsteps and talked with people in the community, was that educators and parents and community members, not all of them anyway, have a great grasp of what the role of a school board member is. And so we actually used A.J. Craybill as a resource. Some of the things that we were gathering were his content that he was putting out, along with a lot of other things that we we had to really dive deep into. But there's not a lot of people who provide this information to the general public, to educators. There's a lot of teachers and, and paraprofessionals who do not understand what the role of a school board member is. And I get it, because I'm pretty sure early in my teaching career, I wouldn't have known either. So we are going to dive into all that. He's going to dive into what a school board does, the roles of a school board member, and even the importance of the adults in kids' lives as far as shaping behaviors. Before I jump into this interview with AJ, I want, do want to tell you, this is how amazing this guy is. We actually recorded this thing twice. The first time I had a glitch on my end with the recording and he was happy enough to find more time about, oh, a week and a half later to record with me again. So what you're getting is the second version. We went through this twice So thank you to AJ for sharing his amazing wisdom with you. You're really going to enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you AJ Craybill. Ladies and gentlemen, the episode so nice, we had to record it twice. (laughs) Right, uh, right. I can tell you if this episode is half as great as the first one that we had a recording glitch on, you are in for a treat. AJ, thank you so much for joining me. It's good to be back a second time. <laughs> oh, man, I appreciate you. I'll tell you, AJ's a busy guy. And I said the last time we recorded or attempted to record anyway, is how appreciative I was of him take, squeezing in a little bit of time to hang out with me, and even more so now that we're doing it twice in a week and a half. So thanks again. Hey, uh, just in case anybody doesn't know who you are, uh, where you've been, just kind of catch them up on your ed journey, where you were at, all the way up to what you do now. Yeah. Uh, 
the things that were most important to me that I shared about this is both what is it that inspires the work that I do um, and really animates it, and then what is some of the actual work that I do. And so it was much of the blessing of public school teachers who shepherded me along my own journey uh, through foster care and through various homes and various locations, uh, through ups and downs. A major protective factor for me was the benefit that I received from public school teachers who leaned in and believed in me and pushed me uh, toward what I was capable of, even when I didn't see what I was capable of, or even when I definitely had a bad attitude about being pushed. <laughs> and it's that grace that they showed that allows me to be here having this conversation with you today. Um, and so that's that same thing that I got. I am absolutely certain that every child <laughs> everywhere needs as well. Absolutely. And if there's anything that I can do to help increase the likelihood that they are receiving the same blessings that I received. And that that's so much of where my fire for public education and really living into what's possible for children uh, comes from. It's, it's a sense of urgency around giving back. That said, some of the things that I'm doing uh, along that vein. So today, as an example, I spent all day today, all day yesterday, working with a group of teachers and counselors and social workers, training them on student-led restorative practices. So it's this work around how do we create a system where we're actively providing students with the tools around peacemaking and around how to engage with each other and work through conflict and the internal coping resources they need just to deal with whatever it is that life's throwing at them. And one of the teachers today said, so are you saying if we, if we, train our students this way that they won't ever be triggered again. It's like, no, 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 we will most certainly be triggered. We are not taking that away. We, we lack that capacity. But what we can do is teach the types of habits of mind and the skills and the give them a toolbox such that when the inevitabilities of life come along, that they have options, that they have ways of being able to address those circumstances and be powerful in the face of those circumstances. Uh, the, the, way I, the way I choose to view the world is that every single one of our children, when confronted with life's obstacles, is going to open up their toolbox and pick whichever tool is the most optimal tool to address that situation that's in their toolbox. But sometimes we'll be in school and we'll see a kid and it seems like he sees a screw in a piece of wood and instead of screwing it in, it looks like he's sitting there just hammering on it with a hammer and we're thinking, why are you using a hammer on a screw? Like this doesn't make any sense. Until you look in his toolbox and realize he ain't got no screwdriver. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden him using a hammer on the screw makes a world of sense. He's using the best tool he had available to do the job. Now, what we need to do is recognize that, okay, Little AJ doesn't have a screwdriver. He's doing the best he can with the tools available. What do we need to do to get this brother a screwdriver? <laughs> what do we need to do to teach him how to use a screwdriver? Because my belief is whenever students are faced with whatever life's adversities are, that they will open up their toolbox and whatever is the most optimal tool, my belief is they're going to use it. And so when I see students not behaving in a way that is the tool that I would expect them to use, 
To me, that means they just lack the tools and it's our job to help give them tools or they lack proficiency with the tools and our, our job to give them practice mm-hmm. in the same way that we teach education. We and public education has always been and should always be about teaching character as well. And But there are tools of character. This is not just some innate thing. This is, these are things that have to be learned. And I think if we can create a context and students learn it, and particularly important when they can be learning it from each other so that the burden, the time cost of doing the training is coming from their peers rather than from the adults in the building, hence student-led restorative practices, that then... Uh, not only are we ensuring they get what they need, but we have the workforce because there's always more students than there are adults in every school. <laughs> we have the workforce to actually to see this through and free up simultaneously adults to be focused on instruction. So that's one example of what I do with my time. Uh, another thing that I spend a lot of time on is working with uh, school leaders, school district leaders, uh, as well as school board members to really help them ground the work that they're doing and how we improve outcomes for students throughout the school system. And it's uh, that work that I spend a lot of my time and energy on really helping folks identify what are the priorities that are important to them and then what are the habits of mind and the collective practices of the board and the superintendent to lean into those priorities. And then finally, I also have uh, my own district, uh, DeSoto ISD, Go Eagles, uh, where I serve as conservator. You are a busy man, Mike. <laughs> you are a busy Keep man. <laughs> that, I'm sure that's true. You know, <laughs> one sliver of everything you just said is how I came to I came to be introduced to you, and it was your work with school boards. And so as our listeners already know, if, if they're um, a usual listener going back to la- last season, uh, my wife decided she wanted to run for the school board. And so both of us were blank slates. We thought that's, that's a great <laughs> idea. What do we Sounds do? Good. Yeah, what go yeah. Well, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> and, and so we, you know, feverishly scrambled to try to find information and there's just not a lot out there on you know how you go about campaigning or even the role of a school board member and we figured out a yeah. lot of things on our own and, and we were lucky enough to talk with some people locally that we knew we'd known and had gone through other kinds of campaigns and things like that but we would stumbled on some of your podcast episodes from various podcasts and my wife has grabbed onto your book and we just we have soaked up a lot of your amazing knowledge And so one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on today was because one of the things that her and I learned as we were out campaigning and talking to people was that educators and especially community members, various people in their community, really may not fully understand the role of a school board member. Yeah, you know, Yeah, and and when, you know, people are asking my wife about like, hey, can you get this legislation passed? And can you do this? And she's like, that's not really what <laughs> school board members do. But, but you're going to fix this pothole in my block, though, that's, right? <laughs> that's what you're going to, you're going to get that part done, though. I, I voted for you, right? That's right. Fix the pothole. <laughs> so could you just kind of share like the basic role of a school board member for everybody? Yeah, this is important, not only for role setting, but because when people have more clarity about this question that you ask, I think it's going to free up a lot more people to realize that the next school board member for their community may be staring them in the mirror. 
And so the first thing to be clear about is why school systems exist. School systems only exist for one reason. That's to improve student outcomes. The only reason school systems exist is to improve what students know and are able to do to improve student outcomes. If what little AJ knows and is able to do when he crosses that stage for that last time isn't sufficient to set him up for a choice-filled life where he can take care of his own needs and needs of his family, the needs of his loved ones on, on his own terms. If we have not accomplished that, if we have not created the context for that, then we failed. That is the only reason school systems exist. Recognizing that that's the only reason school systems exist is to improve student outcomes. The job of the board as a subset of that purpose for school systems is to represent the vision and values of the community. And because to say that school systems only exist to improve student outcomes, well, which student outcomes are we going to focus on? There's a lot of different things that we want students to know and be able to do. Which ones are we going to focus on most? Well, the community has to make that call because it's the community's schools, it's community's children, it's community's tax dollars, community's school buildings. And so the community has to make that call, but there's just too many folks in the community. And so somebody said, you know what, let's find some people who will represent our vision and values on our behalf at, and, and we'll call those people the school board. And so this is the function of the school board is to represent the vision of the community. What is it we want students to know and be able to do? Because that's the only reason school systems exist. But also, what are the values of the community? When seen in that context, that that's the job of the board to represent the vision and values of the community, that means the only thing you need expertise in as a potential board member is can I effectively listen to the community's vision and values and then represent those in my behavior as a board member? And if the answer is yes, you are fully qualified to be a school board member. <laughs> so some people think, oh, well, I have to be an education expert. This is not accurate. Oh, I have to be a legal expert. This is decidedly false. Oh, I have to be a financial expert. This is completely inaccurate. The only thing you have to do, because you're going to hire for all of those positions. So it's helpful to know those things, but that's not actually your job. People aren't going to the ballot box and saying, well, which one of these people is the best accountant? That's obviously who we want for the school board. Well, people are going to the ballot box and saying, which one of these folks most aligns with my vision and my values for what students should know and be able to do and how our school system should operate? And whoever that person is, that's in fact who I'm voting for. That piece of clarity right there tells you that the key skill set you need is listening to the community's vision and values and being able to write them down in the form in the written form of the community's vision and values is what we refer to as policy. That's all policy is. It's just listening for the vision and values of the community and writing it down in written form. And we put it all in a fancy book and we call it a policy manual. But that's really all it is. And that's because that's what the board does is they listen for and represent the vision and values of the community. That is really well said, really well said. And that's, that's a really, that's a, a very understandable um, explanation of it. And I think a lot of times it, people either, um, they probably either oversimplify it or the other way, or they just make it too complex as far as- It's so complicated that yeah. no, nobody can run. You, yeah. know, you have to have 57 PhDs and no, no, that's, <laughs> that's not, it's not your job to- to manage the school district on a day-to-day -day basis. You will hire a superintendent for that. It's not your job to be the instructional leader. You'll hire a superintendent for that. It's not your job to be the financial leader. The superintendent will hire a CFO for that. It's not your job to be the district's attorney. The superintendent will hire an attorney for that. Your job is to represent the community's vision and the community's values. And anyone who's willing to listen, willing to put in the time and energy to do so, and then willing to be part of a team of board members to write that vision and values down to make it plain, qualified. Get ready, go run. And that, that's a good segue to this next portion as far as the, the vision of the community. How much 
transparency can we offer to community and educators and so forth within our school district as far as, you know, what are some things that, that as, a, as a school, if you're on a school board, what should you be sharing with your community? What are some things that you can't, maybe it's because, you know, student interests and so forth, you certainly yeah. can. You kind of dive into that a little bit for us. Yeah, so from the school board's perspective, and it's a little bit different perspective from a staff role, but from the school board's perspective, first, I think it's helpful to think through like what we use this big word, transparency. You always hear transparency and accountability. People throw around these big words, but they never bother to define them. I don't know if you noticed that. People people got big SAT words, but they don't actually tell you what they mean by it. So I think if we're going to talk about transparency, like why does this matter? And I think there are two main reasons to me from the school board perspective, why transparency matters. One is because the community owns the schools. It's their schools. They have a right to know how the resources are being spent, a right to have an insight into the operations of the organization. It's a public entity. And the second reason transparency matters is because as more people have insight to decision-making, then more people can contribute to decision-making. And, and we can see around challenges with more brains involved than maybe we could with just fewer. I, I share that to suggest that if what we're doing in the name of transparency isn't elucidating what's happening in the school system for the public and isn't actually helping increase the quality of decision making, then we're just doing transparency theater. We're we're <laughs> pretending that we're doing something valuable when we're really probably just campaigning and benefiting ourselves. Uh, and so there, there are a few examples of what meaningful transparency might look like and what performative transparency that doesn't actually benefit children or community looks like. On, on the performative side, if sometimes I hear people say, well, we need you know to have uh, we need to have people uh, have full access to everything that's going on with every child. Uh, we need every piece of data, um, all 10,000 pages of it. <laughs> so this is a bit performative in that if we hand over 10,000 pages of data about what's happening in the school district, which people can ask for, I mean, it's probably a legal request. The challenge is, one, most people are never going to be able to decipher all of that. So it's not actually transparent. It's pretending to be transparent. It's like, yeah, hey, here's a thousand pages. You figure out, you know, where the find the needle is. in the haystack. Yeah. That's that's not actual transparency. Um, and because it's indecipherable, then it doesn't actually make it easier for people to participate in decision making. So what might make more sense is say, what are the actual priorities? And give us a summary of where we are relative to the priorities. And then if we have follow-up questions, we'll pull on that thread and we'll pull on the next thread and we'll pull on the next thread. But let's let's keep it at a level where anyone in the community could reasonably participate. But the moment it takes a literal PhD in statistics in order to decipher the information in front of you, we have actually failed at transparency. It's transparency theater at that point, but it's not actually making it easier for the community to understand what's going on or easier for more people to participate in decision-making. And so as long as we're mindful about what is the purpose of transparency, what are we actually trying to accomplish? We're trying to be uh, open and visible to the owners of the school system, the community, because they, the community has a right to know whatever it is the community wants to know. And we're trying to contribute to the quality of decision-making. If our efforts at transparency accomplish both of those, then I say go for it. And if our efforts at transparency accomplish neither of those, then it sounds like 
fakery, you know, campaigning in the name of transparency, but not actually delivering the goods. And frankly, we should be cautious of elected officials or superintendents uh, who play transparency games with the community. It's not beneficial. Yeah, well said, well said. So speaking of the community and just as we dove a little bit into transparency, what about uh, like developing partnerships with the community, uh, parents and so forth, and the role that school board might have as far as developing partnerships and connections? So there are two different reasons a community member might be interested in what's happening in the schools. There are two different roles that the community member might be playing. In one role, they might be playing the role of a customer of the school system. As a customer, it's usually because I'm a parent and I'm trying to make sure that the services my child needs, I'm getting. This, this is a legitimate role for a community member to play. But it's important to know that there's a distinction from a community member playing the role as a customer versus a very different role that the community member could play, which is that of an owner of the school system. As an owner of the school system, I'm not trying to engage in just a short-term transactional thing for my kid. I'm, I'm trying to think big picture. What does the future of the school system look like? What are we trying to do for all children? And so owners of the school system are thinking at the systems level, what do we do for all children? What's the big picture? What is the thing that we're trying to accomplish overall? Community members can also be owners, uh, customers, and they're thinking, what is the specific services or programs that I'm trying to access on behalf of my family or something of that nature? And so there's community members as customers and community members as owners. This is an important distinction because there's customer service and it's the job of staff to provide customer service. And then there's owner service and it's the job of the board to provide owner service. So if community members want to have a conversation about the big picture of the district, take that to your board member and have that conversation because they're the ones responsible for providing owner service. So when the owners of the school system show up and say, we want to talk about the future, the vision of the school system, you need to talk to the ownership about that. But when community members show up as customers, I want to talk about what my child needs to be receiving that they aren't. You shouldn't talk to a board member about that. You should talk to whoever can most provide customer service, which if I have a problem that about what's happening in my kids' class, who do you think the first person I should talk to is? I'm guessing the the uh, teacher in the yeah, classroom. Yeah, absolutely. 100% <laughs> the teacher. It makes no sense if I need customer service to go to the owner service reps. Just like if I need owner service, I want to talk about the district's budget and the decisions we make. I wouldn't go to my kid's teacher and say, I need you to fix this thing in this district's <laughs> budget. And so the question is, do we want people going through all those steps to get simple questions answered? Obviously not. This is where it's important for the board member, as I'm listening to the community member, I've got to listen for, are they speaking with their owner, their school system owner hat on, or are they speaking with their school system customer hat on? And then it's my job as a board member to help direct them to where they can most quickly get the support and the resources that they're looking for, whether that is a customer service rep, their teacher or their principal, or whether that's an owner service rep, that me as a board member. It's kind of like, chain of command, but it's also figuring out what what level of need you have. Is it something that needs to be addressed immediately? Does you no good than to go all the way to the top at the school board or superintendent when it's a something you would you would be addressed with a teacher, you know, immediately. Is that kind of what you're hitting at? Yeah, it's just about how do we how do we get things done as quickly as possible? Like if children have needs, it does not make sense for them to wait three weeks to the next school board meeting to try to get those needs met. 
if we could actually just have a conversation with the teacher and sort it out. And the other thing is, frankly, you don't want school board members putting on their Superman cape and saying, I'm going to head down there to the schoolhouse and tell these teachers what for. Like, (laughs) nobody wants that. Nobody actually wants board members showing up and harassing teachers and trying to tell them how to teach in their classroom. Like, that just sounds ridiculous on the face of it. But that's essentially what we're inviting when we take customer service level issues to the board and say, hey, uh, go go do this. And then invariably, you'll have a few errant board members like, oh, well, I'll go down here and fire a teacher for you. Actually, no, that's not your job. You're here to represent the vision values of the community, not try to be the superintendent, not try to be the principal. And so board members being clear about this, because community members won't be, and they don't have to be, it's not their job, but it is the job of the board member to be listening intently and figuring out, is this my time to shine because this is a cust- this is a owner issue and, and I'm their owner service rep? Or is this the teacher's time to shine because it's a customer issue or a principal's time to shine because it's a customer issue? And, and I really need to help this parent get as close to getting their needs, needs met as possible. So speaking of community, when it comes election time, if you're a person in the community or you're an educator and you would like to know which candidate's best for you, what kinds mm-hmm. of questions... What kinds of questions are you asking, you know, candidates? What kinds of things are you looking for as far as a board member that fits the needs for you in, in your school district? Well, so we got to go back to what is the job of the school board? And the job of the school board is to represent the vision and values of the community. And so one of the things I get really curious about is I was actually sitting down with a uh, couple of school board candidates just earlier this week. And they're about to run. And what happens often is that school boards will ask me to meet with all the school board candidates and just do a little bit of a boot camp for them, a little training while they're still candidates so that they have a better understanding of what the job is so they're better prepared for the job. Like, I think this is a really important thing that should be happening everywhere. I had no idea what I was doing when I got on school board. I just knew that I love kids. I wanted to serve kids. I've been working with kids for years and that this was just going to be a different way. I will, foolishness, all of that. That None of that is directly related to what board members actually do on a day-to-day basis. And so I actually learned on the job. So the better approach is what I coach a lot of districts to do and more and more are doing is they'll host trainings for school board members far in advance of the election. So, or for aspiring school board members far in advance of the election, frankly, before they even file, like before you file for the job, you should actually know what the job is you're filing for. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so in all that training, one of the things that we train board members to do is to be intensely focused on what are the student outcomes that you're hearing from the community that you're trying to affect? Like, well, where are the areas of what students know and are able to do that, you've, that you're hearing from the community that we most need to lean into, we most need to be focused on? And if you have conversations with aspiring school board members, and they have neither listened to the community's vision for what students should be able to do or have any clear insights into that, to me, that's a clear red flag because that is literally the first part of your job is to represent the vision of the community. And so if you haven't gotten clear about that, what often people will say, they won't say anything about children. Would you ask them this question? And this is a red flag to listen out for. So say, oh, what's my vision for improving student outcomes? Uh, Instead of saying something like, you know, we want to see improvements in literacy or we want to see more students career ready in, in vocational education, or we want to see more students 
with skills around collaboration um, and empathy, instead of talking about what students should actually know and be able to do, people will jump into, oh, well, you know, I want to fire this you know, principal and I want to make sure that we get rid of this coach, you know, and I want us to move Taco Tuesdays to Taco Thursday. And, <laughs> and they start talking about all these things that have to do with adults and nothing at all that has to do with children. This is the epidemic that our country is facing. The school boards over time have become intensely focused on improving adult inputs hmm. and have completely lost track of having a focus on improving student outcomes. But the school system doesn't exist to improve adult inputs. The school system doesn't exist to make teachers happy, parents happy. It doesn't exist to buy books and buy lunches and buy buses. It doesn't exist to have a balanced budget or to have fancy facilities. The school system exists for one reason and one reason only. That's to cause improvements in what students know and are able to do. And so when you run across the candidate and you ask them, hey, what is it that you're most trying to accomplish? And they never talk about what students know and are able to do. All they talk about are the adult inputs that they want to show up and you know uh, tinker with. That, to me, is a huge red flag that they don't actually understand the job and they're not prepared to represent the vision of the community. That is really good stuff. And I absolutely love the idea of you know, bringing in you or a like person who can explain what before you dip your toes Long into before. into the into the idea of campaigning here's what your role is actually going to be that just makes logical sense logical sense you make it's logical too, sense too much sense way. it's actually funny i was leading one of these uh I, I call them school board school so i was leading one of these rounds of school board school once and I'm explaining things just like we're talking about right here. And this guy, you know, kind of looks perturbed, raises his hand up in the back of the room. He says, oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, so you saying if I get on the school board, uh, I can't fire all the bad teachers because I know who the bad teachers are. I can't, I, can't, I can't protect the children by just firing the bad teachers. He's like, no, no, sir, that's, that's, that's not what you're here to do. That's, that's not part of your job. That's what you hire the superintendent to do, but it's not your job to go into the classrooms and figure out who the bad teachers are and, and fire them. That's, that's not, he's like, well, then why would I run for the school board? And then he grabs all this stuff and he storms out and leaves. It never comes back. I never see the, I've never seen this guy again a day in my life. He just disappeared. And I describe that as a victory for children and definitely a victory for teachers on that particular day. Uh, uh, that's true. That is true. <laughs> Uh, so let's flip the table a little bit. So we talk a little about the, what the election looks like, you yeah. know, as far as like what you're asking candidates. What if there's somebody in our audience, especially since we're going to put this out on both of our podcasts, it'll go to educators and it'll go to parents. You know, what if there's somebody in the community that's interested in maybe running for school board? What kinds of advice? And you don't have to go deep diving. I know you could go really deep. This is this is <laughs> this is right up your alley. So just basic basic line um, yeah. of advice for what to what to know about what to do when campaigning for school board. Well, so even before campaigning, I, I'd start with the discernment process. Is that folks really want to be in discernment around? If folks are just super giddy and say, "Ooh, I want to be an elected official. I want to be an elected official." Be wary of that individual. Like I, They are not the ones that you want to trust with your children. So if people just seem way too stoked and excited to be an elected official and feel like they get a fancy robe or a gavel or something, like maybe steer clear of that person. So, so as part of the discernment phase, I'd really invite people to remember the jobs to represent the vision and values of the community. I'd encourage people to do a little bit of a little miniature listening campaign. Say, hey, I'm in discernment around running for the school board. 
I'm, I've been reading some books. I've been doing some work on me to figure out what that means. But I also want to hear from you as, uh, as an owner of our school system, as a member of this community, kind of what what is your vision for what students should know and be able to do? And what do you think are the highest priorities that our school system should be focused on in terms of student learning? And what are your values that need to be reflected in how the school system operates? And, and go on a bit of a listening tour to really begin easing into the role of listening for and ultimately representing the vision and values of the community. So that's what I do as part of my discernment process is I wouldn't just buy fear, but like, you know what? I'm popular. People should pick me and actually go out and do some listening and figure out is what I'm hearing actually aligned with what's in my heart. Because if there's not, maybe don't run. Uh, or if you're hearing a huge variance between where you are at and where the community is, you're probably not going to be a great representative for the community. Uh, it doesn't make you a bad person. It just means maybe run for city council and fix some potholes. <laughs> uh, and so that's the discernment process. Once you've made it through the discernment phase and you've decided, okay, what I'm hearing is that there's a strong alignment between the community's vision and values and my understanding. And now I've decided to run. Now, just a couple of ideas for you as you're on the campaign trail. The first and foremost, go out and do some door knocking. Uh, there are few better ways to connect with your future constituents than just showing up on their doorstep, knocking on their door and having a conversation. I absolutely love door knocking. I would wear through a pair of shoes. I'd lose 10 pounds. It's fabulous. Do it. Uh, and, but this is also a bit of a litmus test. If you have any trepidation or fearfulness in your heart about knocking on doors in any part of your community, you're probably not the person to represent that community. Like if you are, if you have fearfulness about going to where the people in your community are, that, that's fine. That doesn't make you a bad person, but it means you're probably not going to be the ideal person to represent those folks. That you really need to have a comfort and fluency with going to where the people are and being able to speak with them on their terms, you know, on their, you know, on their property. So that's the first thing is I do a lot of door knocking. The second thing is I would aggressively participate in any candidate forms that are available. And if for some reason there aren't candidate forms, I would push for community leaders, faith leaders, neighborhood association leaders, elected officials, other political leaders, say, would you be willing to host or get together with some other folks and co-host a candidate form so that the community has an opportunity to see all of the candidates having a conversation about the things that they believe and the things that they're going to be focused on so that it becomes less about it being just this popularity contest. Well, I know Jim Bob, so I'm voting for him. I don't know what he stands for. I just know him. He's a decent guy. So I'll vote for him. But instead, let's actually have a conversation, not not one of these hostile, you know, presidential you know, <laughs> forums, but just an opportunity for folks to have a conversation and the community to observe that and get a sense of, OK, now I see whose vision and values most align with mine. And so I, I do door knocking and I actively participate in candidate forums if they exist. And if they don't, I go out and I pitch community leaders to host candidate forums so that the community has an opportunity to really decipher among the candidates. My wife and I learned just the value of, of going door to door. And I'll be honest with you, we just had awesome conversations with people Wonderful from all over the place. It was just great to hear what people's visions are for for kids and for the school district. And and at bare minimum, you're taking in and you're expanding your knowledge as far as That's what right. your community right. you know, thinks. So absolutely agree with that. Um, we're coming down to the, the close here. So I saved maybe the best question for last. It, it's not... <laughs> 
just specific for school board. I've always, one of the things I really appreciate about you that aligns directly with my heart is that you're very student-centered and everything revolves around the student and I 100% am on board with that. And the comment that you always make is student outcomes don't change until adult behaviors change. I think that's pretty powerful and pretty meaningful and I I agree with it. Could you kind of explain that a little bit to the audience? Yeah, this this idea... That student outcomes don't change until adult behaviors change stems from this belief that we as a community owe a permanent debt to the children that we serve. And if things are not working out for our children the way that we want them to work, that it's on us as the adults in the community to figure that out. Is, you know, we shouldn't be sitting back and like, well, you know, these third graders can't read, but I'm sure they'll figure it out on their own. You know, <laughs> literacy is pretty easy anyway. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll sort it out. Like if if our third graders can't read, that's on us to sort out. It's on us to figure it out. And so what the statement really is, this idea that student outcomes don't change until adult behavior changes, really this, this oath that I take that I will be willing at all times to question and rigorously and routinely evaluate my adult behaviors to figure out where are they currently out of alignment with improvements in student outcomes. And it's not, I'm not asking, is there an area of not alignment? I'm saying definitively at all times, there's an area where my adult choices, my adult behaviors could be more in alignment with what is beneficial to students. And I've constantly got to be asking myself that, interrogating that within myself. What is the behavior of mine that may be making it harder for my students to be successful? And and what is the change in my behavior that I could make that could really be powerful and transformative for my students? That is what this is about. It's about this constant insistence that I will evaluate my adult behaviors and seek to be more in alignment with what it is that our students need at the moment. And again, I'm not asking if my adult behaviors are out of alignment. They are never perfectly aligned with the needs of children, partially because the needs of children are constantly evolving. So just as I get really, really good at meeting the needs of the kids in front of me, guess what? The school year ends and now i got a whole new class of kids <laughs> coming in and I've got to figure out what are their needs. And yeah, there's going to be some heavy overlap between the needs of the previous group of students and this one, but there are going to be differences. And I can't be comfortable. It's not about my comfort. I have to be willing to step outside of that which is easy for me and to step into what is possible for them. This is what I mean by this idea that student outcomes don't change until adult behaviors change, starting with me. Love it. Love it. Everything you're throwing out. And thank you for all of your amazing content. And You have not only helped my wife and I, but so many people. <laughs> and you do so much amazing work. And I probably have never felt more victorious about getting through a podcast episode <laughs> than, than I do right we now. We made it. Oh, we my made goodness. It. <laughs> Between recording issues and Wi-Fi issues, we have sludged through it. So, AJ, through. thank you so much, man. Thank you for all your great work. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, and I'm just grateful for you, grateful for you supporting uh, your wife, uh, and just as I can ever be um, engage in the work you're doing and supportive. Don't don't hesitate to reach out. Absolutely will. Absolutely will. Uh, before we jump off, real quick, uh, how can anybody connect with you if they want if they want to uh, get in touch? Yes, yeah, so certainly. Uh, probably the easiest way is just to shoot me an email. Just aj at ajcrable dot com. That's aj at ajcrable dot com. 
uh, or they you know check me out on the website. If folks are curious about the school board, you can check out the book. The website is just greatontheirbehalf.com, same as the name of the book. Uh, and if if there are folks where being of service to the children and community is on your heart, but you're kind of wrestling with it, I, I'd really encourage those folks to reach out. I'd be happy uh, just to to listen a little bit and get a sense of kind of what's what's coming up for them and try to be uh, uh, offer any guidance from someone who's gone before. Perfect. Thank you again so much. And I highly suggest check out his stuff. We'll put it in the show notes so you can connect with him if you'd like to. And you could also check out you know his book and any of the content. So thanks again, AJ. Appreciate you, man. Thanks so much, Kyle. Matter of fact, the only thing I do know is that most of the time I don't know. Dad, you're super cringy. Is your 9 or 10-year-old already starting to fill out their application for Harvard, Yale, or Oxford? Parenting is just flat-out messy sometimes. If you happen to like this stuff from the short bald dude, new episodes drop every other Thursday. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you think he's halfway decent, you can also rate and review. You can also send him some feedback too if you email him at researchcommunity at gmail.com. You can share ideas on future topics or just yell at him for his horrible sense of humor. We do it all the time. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. We'd like to give a shout out to Kevin McLeod for the use of his music. You can check out his information in the show notes below.